0: And welcome to the fifth episode of Basha's Thoughts. Today I'd like to talk about what is real. I'd like to continue talking about what is real, but from some slightly different perspectives and related to things that are of importance to us. So I'd like to do it in the intuitive thinking type of way. And that means we will be jumping a little bit between perhaps slightly different-looking concepts, but they all contain a little bit of the same idea, just so that the message might come through in a slightly more nuanced and perhaps hopefully rich way. So I'm thinking of jumping between things like simulations of evolutionary perspectives maybe going into the biology of perception talking about suffering how it comes about and this search for what is real what is alive what is really real and how that can bring us closer to who we are and what is a value to us all right So let's start out with maybe some simulations, you know, of course the most common idea of what is real is that which we can see and feel and touch, that which we can perceive, I know it's real because I can see it, I can touch it, so let us talk about perception, you know, there are some really interesting things being done in, especially in evolutionary perception, simulations of it. And um, some of the key ideas that you can get from it is that if you simulate beings, you create some kind of a world, and then you simulate beings that can perceive, and then you look and you let them evolve and live in this world, and then you look at how they perceive the world. In the beginning, people thought, well, they will perceive the world as as it is, as accurately as possible. That should be the idea, right? That's the best chance for survival and, and being able to live in a world. But after many, 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 many simulations of different sorts, it appears that the way these beings interpret the world, the way they perceive it, is fundamentally different from what the world actually is. And so why should we be any different? In fact, probably we're not. The idea is that what we perceive as the world out there is probably very different from the actual world. Well, not to go into the quantum theory as we did before, where um, we actually question an objective world out there anyway but even before we go into quantum thoughts, just based on perception and the evolutionary perspective of perception, you can think a little bit of something like a computer and the screen being your interface. So the screen has a lot of icons and things that sort of correspond to parts of the computer. But an icon on the screen is fundamentally different from what it actually represents. So even though you can interact through the screen, you can move the icons, put one into another, and you can even play games on them, what you're actually doing to the actual circuits, the circuits are totally different from the screen. It's almost as if they have nothing to do with the screen, and yet they are related. There is a correlation and there is a relationship, but what they are is fundamentally different. The circuits are different, so our perception of the world is merely an interface. It is not at all, probably, what the world is actually like. So if we're looking for reality, and we're saying, well, what is real is that which I see, well, the chances of that being true in some sense, whatever sense that is, are minuscule. So perceptions are probably not the best way to go when we're looking for what is really real. And we could go into the biology of perception. One thing that I find really interesting is the amygdala. So this is something we have on both sides in our brain, in the temporal lobes. And this seems to be a center of good and bad, a little bit like the judge, because the amygdala gets sensory perception sent to it, and it also gets some information, some other information sent to it from uh, the cortex, for instance, and then it decides what to do with that. So it can reinforce things so that we can learn what to be afraid of, what to say, oh, this is really bad. And we can also learn what is really good. So I think initially it was mostly studied as the fear center and learning how fear, conditional fear, is created through the amygdala. But it's not just fear. It's also the good things. That's interesting. So we have this inside of our brain that will condition us how to perceive things, and so it will stimulate certain things and get rid of some information that it doesn't find interesting or pertinent to our survival. So this good and bad, this judgment, it seems to be very important when it comes to survival. So if you want to survive within any perspective, like the perspective of a human being. If you want to keep being a human being, well, then you have to have an amygdala that's working for you. You have to have some kind of judgments of good and bad, in some sense, so that you can learn to live within this perspective and survive within it. But this good and bad actually takes us away a little bit from what and who we truly are. Because that's an opinion, you could say. It's not what is real. Even Shakespeare, I think, talked about thinking and good and bad, saying that there is no good and bad out in the world, but thinking makes it so. And that's kind of the idea behind suffering. When we start thinking and we go into our mind and we go into our judgments of what is good, And what is bad we start telling ourselves stories creating images and very often it is these stories that we tell ourselves that take us away from what is actually going on and from who we are we identify with the story and there we start to suffer more and more so we're moving away from what is real what is now and we're going into a story and judgments. This is something that most of us do with traumas. Actually, with traumas, we create a story that we then overlay on top of a lot of things that happen. And we can have many different stories. The developmental traumas are the stronger stories that we tell ourselves. These these can be stories of rejection, or it can be a story of not having enough, or it can be a story of humiliation, or of being used. So there are many different, or not that many, but a few different basic fundamental stories. And often our childhood developmental traumas will have one or sometimes even more favorite stories that we will overlay So as soon as something is happening, to protect ourselves, we will overlay this story. So as soon as someone is starting to tell us something, we might already start overlaying a story. We may overlay the story of rejection. Oh, so you don't think I'm good enough, you don't think I deserve this, and you're rejecting me. Or humiliation, you're just trying to humiliate me. Or... Some other story, maybe the story of being used, or you just trying to use me. And so, whenever we overlay this story, this happens so quickly that we're not really aware of doing this. And we think that we are just seeing what is. Well, that person is clearly rejecting us. No, they are clearly trying to use us. No, they are clearly humiliating us. It is very clear to us because we are so sensitive to our favorite overlay story. But in reality, it might not be there at all. But we want to be prepared so that we can survive, we can fight. And so we move into the defensive mode, or even the aggressive mode. But what we do is that we remove ourselves from reality. From the present moment, we go into the story And even though it's not a very complicated story, it happens so quickly that we don't even notice it. And so we are in a story instead of being in the present moment. And we are in the judgment, judging what is going on. And it's interesting because this idea of the good and bad and thinking going into the mind being living in the mind as opposed to the heart and making these judgments this is something that we also find in buddhism for instance and not only there but buddhism is a philosophy that has focused a lot on suffering and so what is the root of suffering there well that has to do with these desires of the good and the bad and so if we can remove desire, well, then we can remove the suffering and we can become free. But the idea is still the same. We're moving into who we are and we're moving away from the storytelling of who we are. (laughs) So this position that we move into, the defensive and or aggressive way of acting, can also be reflected in our language. And it often is. And um, Marshall Rosenberg, who developed nonviolent communication, had a very good idea of uh, how this works. And so he was often talking about the giraffe and the jackal. So the giraffe is an animal that has a very long neck. And because of that, it has the largest heart of all land animals. So he created the language of the giraffe, and that is the heart-centered language. The heart-centered language does not go into any judgments, no moral judgments. And the jackal moves into the judgments. The jackal lives in the head and judges things as good and bad. It is interesting because he used to warn against thinking as soon as you hear someone start a sentence I think and then they go on you know that there's trouble ahead because that person will not be acting from who they are, will not be talking from who they are, they will be removing themselves from the real aliveness of themselves and they will go into something more that may seem more neutral Or it may seem defensive or aggressive. And aggression can feel sometimes as being alive. There's this adrenaline pumping and you're sort of alive. But aggression is a poor substitute for real aliveness. Unfortunately, sometimes in some circumstances, for some people, it's difficult to find anything else. And so... The person will have to criticize, will have to fight, will have to use this very violent type of language and judgment in order to feel just a little bit alive, because they don't know of the language of the giraffe, they never learned it, they don't know how it works, and so that's their only way of maybe feeling a little bit aliveness. They also want to feel better. That's the movement for all of us. We all want to move into feeling better. Moving towards bliss. Follow your bliss, right? So that's what we all want to do. That is how the universe works. That is how movement works in the universe. It is driven by love. It is driven by bliss. It's just it's some of it are quite suicidal ways of asking for it, as Marshall calls them, suicidal ways of making requests. And they are suicidal because if you make a request by criticizing someone else, for instance, well, then you are very unlikely of having it met. So these are sort of suicidal, desperate ways for asking for help what is this aliveness? Okay, so we know aggression and we know the aliveness we feel from that. But what is this giraffe language and the heart-centered aliveness? How do we find it? Well, Marshall would al- always talk about looking for that which is truly alive. So when you put on your giraffe ears and you listen... You don't hear any of the judgments, so you don't hear any insults, you don't hear any criticisms. Your only focus is, what is the other person feeling and needing? What are they actually feeling right now? And what are they needing? And that is what you respond to. That is also what we call empathy. An empathetic response. So even when the jackal is criticizing, apparently criticizing and insulting someone else, if the other person is a giraffe or has giraffe ears on, then they can connect anyways with what the jackal is feeling behind all of this connect with the feeling, connect with the need. And if you mirror that back to the jackal, then all of a sudden they might stop and they might start connecting to themselves. And that moment of deep empathy and presence is taking them closer to who they are, is taking them back to their natural state, is taking them closer to bliss. So it is this movement towards bliss that is what is valuable to us. That is what makes us feel alive, more and more alive. And that is what is natural because it is who we are. So, of course, we are kind of everything. I am this body, I am this mind, I am this ego, this personality and so much more. But when I start looking for my essence, I notice that who I truly am is this blissful awareness that is present and able to experience all of this. And when I move away from who I truly am, and I move into my thinking, and I move through that and into the judging, and I start to identify with pictures that I create from judgments. I have my moral judgments of what should be, what is good, what is not, and what I am and what I'm not. And I live in those pictures that I move away from me, that I move away from reality in the sense of that which I am, that which I value, that which makes me happy and feel alive and able to truly connect with others. Because when we use the defensive and aggressive ways of communicating, we're not really communicating so much. We're not really connecting. Indeed, this is How you can, for instance, be in a relationship with another person and for 40 years have the same discussion every day and the same problem and there is no solution to it. How do you resolve something? You change your language. You move into aliveness. What does that mean? Well, Marshall probably would say that the quickest way to resolve a problem, even a problem that two people have had for 40 years, is to have each person say what the other person needs and feels. When they can say that without relating to any criticism, any judgment... When each person can say, okay, I see, you need, for instance, I see, so do you need to be heard? Do you need to feel like you're heard, for instance? And the other person, the same thing, look at the first person and say whatever it is that person needs. Whenever they can truly understand that, articulate that, And sit with it, the resolution of the problem will appear very quickly. And what does that mean? That means moving away from the judgments, moving away from the ideas of who we are or are not, and moving into our aliveness, moving into our reality, our being. So these are just some other ways I have of thinking about what is real, what is reality, and what is truly real, and what is truly valuable to us. Thank you for listening today, and I'll talk to you in another episode.